Welcome to the Ars Equi Podcast, a series of discussions between legal researchers and experts on all things related to law and technology. And now, here are your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Tima, and welcome to another episode of the Ars Equi Podcast. As you know, we are currently in our series on fake news, and today Paul and I will be discussing platforms and the role that they play in this whole conversation about fake news. So when we were researching this, we found an article uh, on Facebook uh, and how they are treating fake news. So the story goes like this. Uh, There was a column uh, in the Washington Examiner about fake about climate change and saying that it was a hoax and the data was wrong uh, and so essentially they denied climate change. Uh, Facebook has fact checkers, we will go into detail on this, uh, and they qualified this as false and proved what information exactly was wrong uh, and so they showed a label on the website saying this information is false. Now so far so good until uh, the so-called CO2 coalition, which was apparently affiliated even with the author of the original original article and are a lobbyist group for fossil fuel companies, uh, petitioned Mark Zuckerberg personally to um, take down this notice that it was fake uh, and instead classify it as opinion because opinions can't be fact-checked according to the Facebook policy. So this is a loophole that they used uh, in order to get uh, their content spread uh, more widely. Based on this article, it really led us to think about how platforms go about fact-checking fake news and what the legal framework looks like for that. So we'll start by talking about um, are platforms liable for fake news that is posted on their platform. Yeah, so um, really the basis of all of this is that there needs to be a law that actually says fake news is illegal. Mm-hmm. And at least in, in, in this form, doesn't really exist in every country. We talked a little bit about uh, international comparison there. Um, but pretty much every country knows something like defamation. So this is already false information. So Mm -hmm. there is a need for fact-checking and content might be illegal, that is, content that is uploaded on a platform might be illegal. Now, um, there is a liability limitation though for platforms which um, have a history uh, going back to the 1990s and the early days of the internet. Yeah, 100%. So like in the early days of the internet, 20 years ago, this was really a new area of law, right? So, and this was such a booming industry for most countries that governments were very reluctant to kind of regulate on what they didn't know and what they didn't really understand. So it kind of happened that an environment of legal exceptionalism has been created where platforms are not liable for fake news that's posted on their platforms unless they are aware of it and and don't do anything about it. But if they claim to not be aware of this content that was posted that turns out to be false, then there's no liability. Liability for content posted on platforms is really limited to what is illegal by law, like Paul said. So for example, child pornography, you know, things like that. That's where the platform will have 
liability and an obligation to do something. Otherwise, the obligation doesn't really exist in law. Yeah, and this limitation of liability also came from a really, like the European discussion was shaped by a really drastic case in Germany where an internet service provider was charged with the distribution of child pornography because one of its customers used the network to access child pornography. Uh, so this is really extreme and the, the provider obviously wasn't at fault. So uh, these, these exceptions were created uh, in order to also protect this new uh, emerging branch of economy. Mm. Now, in the meantime, the, the landscape changed, obviously, and, and what was previously um, so-called host providers, so companies essentially um, providing server space and people coding their own websites and putting them online, uh, and the companies not having any control about the information that is posted there, this developed into uh, platforms like Facebook, for example, that, uh, or YouTube that have uh, also don't produce the content themselves, mm -hmm. but identify much more with this content. So, for example, YouTube will uh, give you recommendations on, on what you want to watch and uh, will monetize, obviously, how much you watch it and, and profit from controversial content. So they are in much closer relation to that content, but still um, the same liability applies to them. Exactly, which is crazy. So, like we've said... Liability is limited, right? But a platform still can be held liable for content that they knew about and did nothing to rectify. So in order to kind of limit that liability even further, what platforms have done is really undergone a fact-checking process. And I think this is the part that's most important for all of our listeners because it's, it's really important to kind of know how does Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, how do they go about reviewing the things that I put online and what does that mean for me and my content and how does that affect me? Right. So if we start with Facebook, Facebook uses third party fact checkers. So these are just kind of in um, separate independent companies that do this fact checking work for Facebook. So Facebook outsources this responsibility, right? Facebook has 50 um, fact-checking partners all over the world, and they fact-check in, in 40 different languages. So basically what these independent fact-checkers do is they identify false news, they review content, and this includes photos, articles, videos, ads, everything, and they rank content, and they have like a nine-step ranking system. So We're going to focus on just four from the nine because these are the ones that matter. Um, so they, your content can be ranked as false, which means that the primary claims of the content are factually inaccurate or mostly factually inaccurate. It can be partly false, which is a mixture of accurate and inaccurate information. You can have a false headline, which is basically clickbait, right? So the headline is outrageous and clearly false, but the content of the actual um, post itself is factually correct. Or you can have your um, content ranked as an opinion, like we spoke about previously in the climate change denier case. So the opinion basically means that it's the author's own, um, it ex exposes the author's own thoughts, personal preference, the author's personal conclusions, things like that. It's not based in fact. It's just purely how your feelings about something. And that's how they rank it. So based on those rankings, obviously, if it's an opinion, 
it's fine. But if it's false, partly false, or has a false headline, then you could be subject to certain repercussions. So firstly, Facebook will ensure that fewer people see your post. So that means um, your, your distribution will be reduced, um, your, your post will be put lower in the news feed, or your post will not show up on explore pages, things like that. So Facebook will try to limit the number of people that are able to interact with your content. Also, there'll be restrictions on others trying to share your content and there'll be a warning label attached to your post. Have you ever seen a warning label attached to a post? I haven't seen it. I've never seen it. Only the ones with uh, COVID-19, which is posted on every video or post that Mm. is about COVID-19. COVID-19 was the first time that I had ever seen a warning thing anywhere. And I've been using socials since... Yeah, maybe we're not following the right fake yeah, news sources. <laughs> but it's crazy because when, when I was researching this, I was like, I've never seen this. Until COVID-19, I'd never seen this. That's so true. I don't know. It may, Maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe we don't follow enough fake news distributors. But it also made me question, like, how much fact-checking is really going on if in all my days on social media, I've never seen something like this. I mean, the probability that one of these companies uh, come across fake news is pretty slim considering there are billions of Facebook users. This is true. And also how broadly they define opinion. Also true. So uh, I looked a bit at Twitter, which uh, also has uh, some rules and quite recent, uh, recently updated rules on fake news. And they are uh, categorizing, uh, on the one hand, if, if also, if the claim is true or disputed or just unverified, uh, and also um, look at the harm uh, misinformation can cause. Mm-hmm. So, if um, the harm might be se- severe and it is definitely uh, false, the information, and it is removed, otherwise, there might be just a label saying this might be false and get reputable information here. Um, also, there is the possibility to display a warning if you are about to share it um, that this might that this has been fact-checked fact and might be false. Mm. So similar approaches in that sense. Um, but Facebook, Adam, I'm not sure, maybe you'll tell us about Twitter. Facebook has this repeat offenders kind of a couple strikes, you're out mm. rule. So they don't, the first time you post something that's classified as fake, you won't get kicked off your account. But if you become a repeat offender and you do this repeatedly, then you might have the inability to access your page. You might be you might have the inability to register for a new page in general. So you'll be blocked off Facebook or Instagram for the indefinite future. And you might have um, your distribution reduced or the inability to monetize or advertise. And... Uh, talking about repeat offenders, this also leads us to uh, our next topic, which is uh, quite a weird rule, in my opinion, which is politicians. Mm-hmm. So Facebook is exempting politicians from its fake news uh, practice, right? Yes. Yeah, so politicians are completely exempt from fact-checking. So Facebook's third-party fact-checkers are, do not look at politicians. Sitting politicians in any level of government, from the president to the, I don't know, local councilmen, Facebook's not fact-checking any of their content. Um, 
including the ads. So if your politician posts a political advert and it's sponsored and paid for, Facebook does not fact check that either. And I mean, this is weird priorities in my opinion because journalists are being fact checked and politicians who everybody should be tru- should trust um, are not. So how are the platforms justifying this? The justification is a problematic for me, but I w- I'll tell you what the justification is word for word. Justification is our approach is grounded in Facebook's fundamental belief in freedom of expression and respect for the democratic process and the belief that especially in mature democracies, the with free press and political speech um, is essential. Okay. So they feel like limiting political speech would leave people less informed about what the elected officials are saying and leave politicians less accountable for their words. So they've kind of flipped it and they're saying, yeah, we're doing this for your good. Yeah. So we, you, we want you to know what your politicians are thinking and saying. So for that reason, we don't fact check anything that they post. But all of this would be an argument for not fact checking at all. And they're exactly. not doing this. So more or less, this, this seems like a Trump rule, really. Mm-hmm. And this is also interesting for Twitter because they, um, and, and this is also something that led us to this topic at all, uh, now introduced a label uh, on some of Trump's tweets. Although um, it has been criticized because it was just uh, some statements and not others. Uh, and this, this selection seems random, more or less. Mm. Um, also, Trump announced that this would be a limit of free speech and he would fight this, but doesn't really have any recourse, really. Uh, and this is also something that um, is quite interesting to look at, uh, what people can do, uh, even if they're not the president of the United States, uh, against uh, these measures taken by the platforms. Exactly. So, you know, if... You are an everyday person and you get fact-checked and your post gets taken off or something, or you get a warning label, then you are allowed to contact the third-party fact-checker directly via email. And then you kind of, there's a form that you fill in, you say what the post was, when it was posted, what was it flagged for, was it flagged for being a false headline or false news or something like that. And then you send that and you kind of, communicate your your grievance with them and then they decide whether to uphold the decision or not so this facebook has completely kind of washed their hands off it and they've said yeah deal with our independent fact checkers who are independent contractors and not our employees and yeah yeah they're completely offloading this to third parties and these are just they are not even the ones that are defining the policy or deciding on the policy um they're just more or less determining the facts. Yeah. So um, there's no way to really appeal to Facebook directly. No. Um, the only way is, and this is something that somebody did with Twitter, is sue them. Uh, so um, there was an interesting case in Germany based on the um, 2019 European elections where there was a satirical post by a Twitter user that got taken down and he then sued Twitter for this. Twitter argued that they had uh, rules for elections and to protect um, the integrity of the elections, and therefore it was taken down, taken down because even if it was satirical, it was still uh, misinformation according to their definition. Um, and he sued and won even. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the one hand, because he never agreed to these rules um, on elections and Twitter couldn't unilaterally change them. 
And on the other hand, because Twitter is bound uh, also indirectly by uh, freedom of speech and freedom of expression, uh, and therefore it can't just decide what it wants on the platform, but rather it is also bound by, um, by fundamental rights. Exactly. So it's, it's crazy that it had to escalate to that point that the user had to take the matter to court and actually sue the platform. And there we don't often see that happening. And there wasn't even any recourse beforehand, at least in the, in the judgment that I read. Yeah. Um, he just had to sue. So there's no real like, procedure beforehand. Exactly. And what that does is that also limits the number of cases, right? Because not everybody has the financial capacity, the ability, the know-how to say, yeah, I'm going to sue Twitter. Like, I don't see a lot of people doing that, wanting to do that. Yeah, and, like, it's one tweet that gets deleted, like, the whole, like, year-long process. Uh, because of one tweet, because exactly. Of one tweet, yeah. So the fact that there's no internal um, mode of recourse outside of taking the matter to court is really problematic in itself because it means that they can go around taking um, posts off and there's not much else you can do about it. Also, this is quite interesting because of these liability rules. Uh, as soon as a platform knows about uh, a certain post, it has to take it down if it thinks it is illegal. Mm. Now, previously, and this is why this Twitter case in Germany is a bit of a change in this, previously, um, platforms had the right to just choose uh, whatever they want to display and not really have any legal obligation to keep uh, postings online. So this would lead to uh, an interest for the platform providers to, if something is reported, to just take it down mm. because they could fa face consequences if they didn't take it down. Yeah. But if they take it down... Uh, even though it was okay, there were no consequences. Exactly. So that's the question is, in order for them to continue to make sure that they don't become liable in that way, they take, they take, they take posts down, but the right to freedom of expression, on the other hand, is not really being protected in the fact that there's no due process, there's no right of recourse, you can't appeal the matter and then have your tweet reevaluated to see, okay, maybe if maybe we made a mistake or something like that. Also, for, from the legal qualification side, this isn't like government censorship where you have a public authority and you have case law on um, freedom of expression, for example. So this, this is a private company who also has interests in protecting uh, their platform and deciding what to post on there. Mm. So, for example, platforms will, for example, Facebook does, not allow pornography to be posted mm. there. And this is something uh, that is legitimate. Mm. On the other hand, it has uh, a certain duty to uh, keep um, polit political posts online. Mm -hmm. But then the question is, you know, as social media becomes kind of a mouthpiece for so many and a way for so many, so many people, so many different organizations, um, we've seen it with Black Lives Matter, all these different organizations really blow up and they push their agenda on social media. The question then is, will we get to a point where if there's no internal recourse, then we see real problems happening in the sense that you know, Twitter or Facebook. I mean, we, for example, let's take the TikTok example with Black Lives Matter mm. and where Black Lives Matter hashtags and things and posts related to Black Lives Matter couldn't be viewed on TikTok for, for a while. And they said that was some sort of technical error and it wasn't intentional to mute Black Lives Matter. I mean, 
So the question is then, do we, do we end up getting to a space where some things like this are more common? Definitely. As, as more discussion moves online and moves to these uh, platforms, uh, obviously also this conflict uh, grows there and this becomes more of a problem. Um, the answer to this would be um, more f or similar regulation, as it were, with the government censoring something, mm -hmm. um, or more neutrality of of platforms and mm. but obviously this is always a different a difficult um weighing of rights between on the one hand the platform being a private company who who can decide what they want uh and users on the other hand and users that post uh, information and other users that might be affected by this um, also negatively yeah i think it's also you know important that we keep drumming back to the fact that these platforms are private companies, but the way that they control the world as we see it, the way they control markets and the kind of influence that these platforms now have, that's where we have to then think further, you know. Yes, this is a private, a private company, but you're such an influential private company and you control a lot of what the world sees, what the world hears, All of that, you control markets. Facebook is more has more money than some countries in this world and has more influence than a lot of countries in this world. So then it becomes a question of, does this, I mean, in practice and on paper, this argument of we're a private company, we can make these decisions, that applies. But ethically, maybe, sh does that argument really have that much um force when you're you're a private company but you might as well be a nation on your own because you have that much influence that much power and that much money now we this is more or less a new phenomenon we haven't had um something like this with newspapers because it wasn't such a monopoly on, mm. on such a few companies also not a worldwide um company that was doing this but more local um, so this really challenges uh, regulation and, and, and poses new questions yeah definitely because that's often you know what I think about is how influential these companies are and will definitely be um, as as we move on in this world and how for me the argument of I'm a private company it becomes less and less and less and less significant when You're such a massive player on the global on the global scale. Yeah, and yeah. with great power comes great responsibility. 100%. So, yeah, I think that's where we're going to end it off today. Um, this is the end of the fake news series. We hope you guys have enjoyed it. We hope that we... I feel like we've posed more questions than we've given answers. <laughs> But maybe that shows you how murky the waters are and how unclear this area of law and technology and what should be done is yes uh thank you for listening uh and goodbye goodbye thank you for listening to this episode of the ars equi podcast please be sure to like share subscribe and leave your comments down below thank you again and join us next time on the ars equi podcast